Well, this is lesson number 23 on the book of Revelation, and we're all the way to chapter uh, 13. So the notes, again, are on the website. You can just click on there. I usually don't share everything in the notes, and there's really a lot. When I teach this series, I'm, I'm aware that there's some that are watching that maybe haven't seen the previous week or weeks and such. And then also, if you're here, you may not have been here last week or the last few weeks or whatever, life is that way. Uh, so I put a lot of content in the notes that I don't necessarily share to begin with, but just to get you in line so you can understand where we're at in the book. We're teaching, again, just uh, verse by verse all the way through the book of Revelation. And uh, so we are on Revelation 13. And if you'll go ahead and put up that uh, chart, I start each week. I've been doing this the last number of weeks just to kind of get, I like the chart because it helps you conceptualize just kind of what's going on. I'm really thankful to the Lord that he, he met John on the Isle of Patmos in the Aegean Sea in the first century and just showed him the panorama of events before Jesus comes back in an uncanny way. Y'all, the world is lining up for Jesus to return. Every generation of believers, I've said this so many times, I have believed that they may be the generation that sees the return of the King. But uh, for us as believers living in the 21st century, we really do have some amazing things lining up worldwide. And if you know the Bible and know what the prophets have taught, it's like, wow, Jesus, you, you just looks like you really are coming back this time. A lot of people are challenged with the book of Revelation. You know, if you just understand that it, that it is sequential and God showed, uh, God showed um, uh, John just the panorama of what's going to be uh, going on a bird's eye view from beginning to end, all the way in to the millennial reign of Christ, all the way in to eternity with God. It starts. It starts with the uh, with what what precedes Jesus' return, and then goes all the way through. It's really really interesting. So if you look at the chart real quickly, I just like to try to say this thing in, in different sort of ways, just just to re reiterate things just so you'll kind of get it. Uh, you know, these seven years again, Daniel set, Daniel 9, God revealed to Daniel the last seven years of the church age just before Jesus comes back. God actually revealed to Daniel there in Daniel 9, uh, 490 years of Israel's um, history uh, from, the time of the, from the time of Daniel all the way up until uh, uh, up until Jesus returns. And, and the reason he did that, Daniel was talking, uh, they, they were in Babylonian captivity and God had been speaking to Daniel about the sins of Israel and why they had to leave their land and go into captivity for 70 years. And God basically said, well, let me tell you about the past 490 years, Daniel. And here's the reason that you're not in your land. How many know disobedience will cost you? And it cost Israel deeply. And so right on the heels of that, you know, Daniel got to praying and seeking God. And God showed him the next 490 years of Israel's existence. And 483 of those years have already come to pass. There's seven more years in that time span that God showed Daniel 2,500 years ago. Seven years of that have not yet been fulfilled. And that's where we get the seven years people call the seven years of tribulation. Nothing in the Bible calls it seven years of tribulation. God showed Daniel 70 weeks of seven, 70 times seven is 490. So 70, uh, 70 weeks of seven, each, each week of seven was seven years. So 490 years of history, seven years of that is yet to be fulfilled. So we literally call it Daniel's 70th week. So understand if I say the tribulation, I'm only doing that. People that are watching or you, 
You've heard about the tribulation. People know when I say that. Well, we're talking about that seven years before Jesus comes back. But I understand, you know, technically it's Daniel's 70th week. So you can really break that time period up into, into three segments, those seven years, three segments. The first segment is, is birth pangs. Everybody say birth pangs, the beginning of birth pangs. Now you can read about this in Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is a sister chapter to Revelation chapter six. Matthew 24, Jesus sequentially goes through what's gonna be happening before he comes back. His disciples ask him some questions and he gave them some very simple answers. The first thing he said was, they're gonna be birth pangs before I come back. Those birth pangs basically cover... Uh, the first uh, three and a half years of what we typically call the tribulation time, they start with the revelation of, of this person who has this one world ideology of, of economy, of religion, and, uh, and, and such, and, and a finance as well, what did I say, finance, religion, and, uh, and politics, and, and the world's going to embrace that. And uh, so, There'll be a covenant that will be cut over in the Middle East between Israel and its adversaries. And the person that we typically call the Antichrist will be probably a Middle Eastern leader. I'll talk about that a little bit later tonight, who it might be. Put myself out on a limb a little bit now. And, uh, but anyway, he's going he's gonna to assent and say, yep, that agreement's good. We got some things going on right now in Israel. We've been talking about that the last number of weeks where the Arab states are beginning to want to do business with Israel again, may be the precursor for an eventual big agreement with a number of the, of the nations, Arab nations that surround Israel. And, and then on the heels of that, it could be so easy for the Antichrist to come in and, and assent that, yep, that this covenant's good. He'll confirm that covenant. That begins the seven-year period. First part of it is birth pangs. Midway into it, he's making a peace agreement with Israel to begin with. He turncoats and he's no longer a man of peace. He gets really angry with, with uh, Israel, with the Jewish race, and with Christians, and he begins to persecute both, uh, both of them very, very severely. And we call that the abomination of desolation with the rebuilt Jewish temple being desecrated by him the way it was in Jewish history in the past during the time of the uh, Maccabees, which produced the Maccabean revolt in history. We've talked about some of that. And so the great tribulation right after that midpoint is the second part. You got birth pangs first, then you got the great tribulation, which is right after the three and a half years, uh, year point there. And then uh, life becomes very intense, tremendous persecution of Jews and Christians in the Middle East. And it may actually spread into the entire earth and so if Jesus said, except this time period was shortened, then, then no believers could survive. It's going to be that intense. There'll never be, there's never been such an intense time on planet earth, Jesus said, and the, and the, and the prophets also said. And then right towards the end of that, the rapture of the church occurs, uh, Matthew 24, 29 through 31, the sun, moon, and stars darken, we call that cosmic disturbances occur. This thing's just different. The sun's different. The moon stars are different. It's a sign the rapture's about to occur. 
the church gets raptured out. And then the third segment of the seven-year period is called the day of the Lord. And that's when the wrath of God falls on disobedient, unrepentant people, the Antichrist, his whole regime, and everybody, anybody else that refuses to follow Jesus and is still left here during the day of the Lord. A horrible, horrible time. It looks like meteorite showers just make mayhem of this entire planet. It changes the atmosphere, changes the atmospheric heavens. It changes the lower atmosphere, changes the vegetation, the water. I mean, just the whole thing. Earth literally rebels against its inhabitants during this time period that the prophets called uh, the day of the Lord. The New Testament calls it the day of the Lord. The apostle Paul called it the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord is when the wrath of God falls. This whole seven year period is not the wrath of God. And there are people that are listening to me. You think that the, that the church is gonna be raptured away just when this uh, seven year time period begins. And I, I was taught that in Bible school. I taught that for 25 years myself. Had a real experience with the Lord 10 years ago. And, and really wept a lot personally as I studied and God showed me some things that I'd never seen before. And what I do believe now is we're gonna be here and we'll see the revelation of the Antichrist. That's not popular teaching. I understand it upsets people when I say that. But the reason that most people that believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, let me say it again. I've said it umpteen times. Let me say it again. The reason they believe that that, that whole period we're gonna be dismissed from as Christians is, is because God has not appointed Christians to experience his wrath. Jesus incurred God's wrath for us, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, Romans 5, 9, very clear. And so because it's the whole seven-year period is time of wrath, we're not gonna be here, obviously not gonna be here. I taught it that way. Well, the whole seven-year period is not the wrath of God. The first three and a half, a little past that, is the wrath of man, maybe the first five years or so. It's the wrath of man through the Antichrist. Nothing in scripture says we're immune from persecution. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So the persecution of those first four or five years or so of, of this seven-year period, it's the wrath of the Antichrist and, and it's his regime that's making life difficult for us. And it's a lawless time. And so Christians and Jews particularly are gonna suffer persecution. We're not immune from that. But see, what we are immune from is the wrath of God. And that doesn't start, there it is on the map right here. The wrath of God starts when the day of the Lord begins. And the day of the Lord start, uh, begins uh, right after the rapture of the church occurs. There's some sequential things. You've got some seals that are broken on a scroll in God's hand. Those seals are sequential. They're on the map here. Go on the notes and you can look at all that. And then right after the seal come trumpet judgment. They're seal judgments. They're trumpet judgments that happen. The trumpets blow. We're not gonna be here during the trumpet judgments. The first trumpet blows and that's already, we're already in heaven. And the first trumpet judgment starts the day of the Lord, which is a catastrophic, cataclysmic climate event where just, I mean, all hell is unleashed on planet earth. We're gonna be in heaven. We, we're immune to this day, the day of the Lord, the wrath of God. We're not immune from their first part, the birth pangs and then the great tribulation where it's really difficult because what the Antichrist is doing before the church is raptured away. And then there's another part. So, so the wrath of God occurs, the seven trumpets blow during that time. And with the last trumpet, with the very last trumpet, we taught this weeks past, Revelation eleven fifteen. when the last of the seven trumpets blow, 
blow. And each trumpet has a judgment attached to it. When the last trumpet blows, Jesus comes back. Now, it's amazing. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he'll reign forever. Jesus comes back with the blowing of that, of that seventh trumpet, and that's really when Daniel's seven weeks in, uh, seven years ends. That's the end of it. And what most people have no clue, Daniel chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, there are 75 additional days at the very end of that seven-year period. There's a, 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 there's a period of 30 days. It's mentioned. You can read it yourself. Sake of time, I won't go there tonight. Uh, you can read it yourself. That first 30 days, that's when these bold judgments happen. There's seven bold judgments, and you can read about those. We'll read them later in Revelation 16. They're going to take actually less than 30 days to happen. This is where God absolutely and officially completely cleanses the earth and sanitizes it of all rebellion. It'll take less than 30 days. It happens after the seven-year period. Daniel spoke of a period of 30 days, an additional 45 days uh, for the earth to be acclimated to the millennial reign of Christ. And, and, and Jesus will already be back. We will be back. The battle of Armageddon will have been over and then there's 45 days, the earth just kind of gets back to normal. That makes a total of 75 additional days past the seven years. You probably never heard that in your whole life. Go read it. It's really interesting. I've got it in my notes. And uh, so anyway, that's all on the map here. What I want to do tonight, what, you, know, you can go to the notes or go to your Bible to uh, uh, Revelation chapter 13. We're just going to jump right in right there. Last time we looked at Revelation 12, which was basically an overview of, the, of Satan's uh, ploy against God and his people in the Old Testament. God made promises that he, God always keeps his covenant always keeps his promises. And Satan can't stand for God to make covenants and promises because they guide what he does with the human race. And, and so again, Revelation 12 talks about that. And uh, we went into that in fair detail last week. Also, we found out last week, probably midway or so through this seven-year period that God showed Daniel, uh, the angels, the principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness and high places that the apostle Paul talked about in, Re in Ephesians chapter six, they, there's a war in heaven and they fall to the earth. The angels of God just overwhelm those boys and they fall to the ground. They fall to the earth. And when they do, that's, that looks like that's when the Antichrist turncoats and there's some real, real serious persecution of Jews and Christians. And, and the, the, the fallen angels are here with the demonic forces and, and the Antichrist himself. And it just makes hell on wheels, so to speak, on this planet. So here we are, Revelation chapter 13. Let me set the stage. We're only going to look at half of the chapter tonight, half of it next time, because there's so much content and I don't want to go too far, go too long. So again, Revelation 13, this is, this is giving you another view of what's going on during the tyrannical reign of the Antichrist during the last three and a half years of that seven-year period again. The Jewish temple, a real simplistic Jewish temple has been rebuilt. The Jews have been allowed to make animal sacrifices. The unsaved Jews, they're not Christians. They're, they're not Messianic Jews. They just want to do what they've always done since God revealed 
uh, that sacrificial system to Moses on Mount Sinai. And they're, and, uh, they're allowed to do that by God. And then the Antichrist comes in and said, no more, no more, no more sacrifices. He desecrates the temple and gets really upset with them. So that's the, and that sets the stage. And for three and a half years, there's just mass mayhem worldwide uh, produced by the Antichrist. And then also at the same time, parallel to that is the judgment of God as meteorites hit the earth and just change uh, just change the atmosphere of earth and make it really, really hard to live. You know, uh, man, over a third of the earth's population dies. You talk about billions of people that experience death during this time. Understand again, when we're talking about this, this last three and a half years, the church will be here probably, and you don't, we don't have facts on this. You just have to just guess and speculation. But when you look at scripture and let scripture answer scripture, probably we'll be here once the Antichrist turned coast, we'll probably be here another, another year to year and a half. So once the covenant's made between Israel and their adversaries in the Middle East, count on about, you know, four and a half, five years, the rapture's going, the sun, moon, and stars darken. You get it? Trying to get it in your mind so you understand what's coming. And um, so anyway, we'll be here for the first part of it. But Revelation 13 is this last part of this three and a half years. It's really talking about what the Antichrist will be doing. And uh, it typifies him. And uh, understand that when we get into this, Antichrist is going to lose. He's going to lose in a huge way. But he's going to leave a trail of destruction and mayhem in his path. So we just want to be ready for that. So go right to Revelation chapter 13. Here's verse 1. And here's, this is New King James Version, is the version I'll be using. And then uh, here's John, Isle of Patmos. He says, then I stood on the sand of the sea. He says, I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. So again, he's, he's standing on the seashore, he's looking at the ocean, and the ocean stands for the sea of humanity. So out of the sea of humanity, there arises this, uh, there, there's, arises this beast. And humanity here, the Gentile nations, the beast is the Antichrist. He arises out of humanity. That's what he's saying. And um, this beast is the Antichrist, again, rising to power. Then it says he has, uh, he has uh, seven heads. And then he has 10 horns, heads in the Bible. And you just got to understand, you know, just, just some of the metaphors here and what they mean. The heads here refer to kingdoms or empires. Now, all through the Bible, a head means, uh, the, the head is the strength of a person. That's where your wisdom is. That's what guides your life. So, that, so a head in the Bible is a, is a kingdom or an empire. And here the seven heads are referring to seven empires that have dominated Jewish life and the Jewish nation of Israel ever since its inception as a nation. That's important to understand that. And, um, and then the, uh, I'll come back to the uh, horns in just a minute. But let's talk about the seven heads, heads here. They represent the authority that's given to the beast. He gets his authority from all of these empires in successive generations of time over a period of thousands of years that have dominated the Middle East and have dominated God's people, Israel. And, and you know, you can go back in history and see exactly 
which empires have dominated Israel since its inception as a nation. The first one was the Egyptian empire. And, uh, and then Moses, you know, had to, had to challenge the Pharaoh. And then we have the uh, Assyrian empire after that. And then we have the Babylonian empire. And that's, that was going on during Daniel's day. And the Babylonians pushed Israel out of their land for 70 years. And then after the Babylonians came the the Medo-Persian Empire. The Medes defeated the Persians. It became the Medo-Persian Empire. And during Esther's time and during the rebuilding of the walls, that's the empire that was ruling over the Middle East and God's people, Israel. And then after that, the Grecian Empire, Greece dominated Israel. After that, during Bible days, Rome dominated um, dominated the Middle East and Israel and did for a long, long time. And then the last one, now this is a bit controversial, but I want to put myself out on a limb here, a hand-in-glove fit for the last empire that has dominated the Middle East since Israel uh, came uh, began to be a nation uh, 3,000 years ago is Islam. That, that's, that, that seventh one is Islam. And I'll, talk about, I'll tell you why I believe that in just a minute. So the Antichrist gains his power from all of these kingdoms and all of the ascent that they've had against Israel for all of these generations of time. The 10 horns there that are mentioned in verse one are the various rulers. Uh, two, it could be two things. And I'm leaning toward the second thing I'm about to say. First, uh, some people think those 10 horns are the various rulers that oversaw these seven empires. Or, or uh, perhaps these horns can also refer, uh, a horn is a strength of an animal. So a leader is the strength in a nation. So the king or, or the prime minister of a nation, these 10 horns could also refer to 10 nations that follow the Antichrist while he's, while he's conducting his reign those last three and a half years, they're going to be nations that get in league with him. So that's quite interesting. This beast mentioned in verse one is also mentioned in Daniel 7, verses seven and eight. Listen to this. Here's Daniel 2,500 years before, before John saw what he did on Patmos. After this, it says, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth, It was devouring, breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. So he actually saw the kingdom or the empire of the Antichrist and look what he was doing. He had huge iron teeth. It was a very strong empire and it created destruction everywhere it went. And he saw it 2,500 years ago. He says it was devouring, it was breaking in pieces, and then trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, it all the empires that went before it, and it had 10 horns. I was considering the horns. There was another horn, a little one, coming up among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. So what that's saying is the Antichrist will defeat three nations and he will dominate three of these 10 nations. He will actually be the ruler, the prime minister, the president of those nations during that time. And there, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. Again, verse one uh, of Revelation 13 it says um, he had on his head a blasphemous name. So blasphemous speaks of the Antichrist really being against the religion of the Jews. 
and being against Christianity. So, I mean, he's just really, really a very vain, vain person. This beast mentioned in Revelation 13 was also mentioned in Revelation 17, 3. We'll look at that chapters later from now. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. Again, this beast or the Antichrist had on his head a blasphemous name. And, you know, Satan's always sought to malign God and his work on earth. And so, and so here it is. Here's the Antichrist. He's revealing himself and uh, he's speaking against God. He's a lawless person. He hates the Ten Commandments, hates the morality of Christians, the morality of, of really, of really uh, sincere Jews. He just hates the Ten Commandments and he makes it known. So here are some, here are some character traits of the Antichrist and how he's opposite of Jesus. This is in the notes here. Let me also mention that there's an eerie parallel between the religion of Islam and the Antichrist. And here's, in my studies, and, and you can read about this yourself, you'll find that, uh, I think it's the, uh, 1200, the, the, the 1200 ADs, that's the, the, what, the 13th century, uh, there was an imam, which was an uh, Islamic ruler, who was uh, fairly well-liked and well-known, and for the Islamic people, he was the, you know, creme, la creme of, of Islam, and he disappeared, and nobody could find him, and they don't know what happened to him, so that would be kind of equal to a Christian's rapture, you know, like, like some, uh, uh, like, uh, like um, Elijah was taken to heaven in a, whirl, in, in a whirlwind, you know, in a, uh, in a chariot of fire, so they, they, he just disappeared. And they think that here's what Islam teaches that at just at the very end of time, that the, uh, and they call him the Mahdi, he will reappear and, uh, and that he will rule the world. So he's Islam's, and he's Islam's answer to Jesus and he's actually uh, a parallel to the biblical Antichrist. Now that is really, really interesting. So, uh, so here is... Um, Here's how the Antichrist is the polar opposite of our Jesus Christ. Number one, Jesus is the son of God. The Antichrist is the offspring of Satan himself, according to the Bible. Uh, number two, Jesus is the beginning of and represents a new race of people. Those born again are born from above, literally from John chapter three. The Antichrist is diabolical, represents the absolute worst in sinful humanity. I mean, this guy is stuck on himself and he is completely lawless, as lawless as a human can be. And he promotes lawlessness worldwide, complete opposite of what Jesus is. Number three, Jesus was motivated, empowered for ministry by the Holy Spirit. The Antichrist is motivated by Satan himself to do what he does and he's actually demon-possessed. Number four, Jesus lived in heaven before he came to earth. Antichrist was actually, and the spirit that rules him was embodied in all of these, uh, all of these empires or kingdoms through the centuries of time that dominated, persecuted Israel and tried to hinder God's plan. That's the spirit that's on the Antichrist. Jesus was crucified and of course he uh, was raised from the dead. The Antichrist will receive a fatal wound and die and thank God will spend eternity in the lake of fire. Um, uh, Jesus is the 
seed or the offspring of Abraham, the Antichrist is the offspring or the descendant of Satan. And, and all heathen religion started at the Tower of Babel. You remember the Tower of Babel where, um, where mankind all had one language and they said nothing will be refrained from what we have imagined to do. God saw that they were creating an astrological tower beginning to worship the signs of the Zodiac. This is the beginning of heathen religions. And, uh, and so God scattered or confused their languages. It became Babel to them. They didn't know what each other would say. They couldn't complete their task. See, that, that one world ideology was way back at the Tower of Babel. The Antichrist will have that same heartbeat because the same spirit dominates him. Those who follow Jesus, lastly, number eight, will be blessed for eternity. Those who follow the Antichrist will be doomed for eternity. Then look at Revelation 13, verse two. Now the beast which I saw, now watch this interesting, is like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. So the devil gave him his power. But again, he's likened to a leopard. He's likened to a bear. And he's also likened to a lion. And Daniel had these, these same metaphors. Watch this, Daniel 7, 3 through 6. Four great beasts came up out of the sea, says Daniel, each different from the other. The first was like a lion, had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off. It was lifted up from the earth, made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, See how it parallels verse two? And it raised up on one side, had three ribs in its mouth, its teeth. There's a lot of teaching. I don't have time to get to it tonight. And they said, uh, thus too, it arise devour much flesh. After this, I looked and there was another like a leopard and he had on his back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. So again, you've got the leopard, the lion and the bear mentioned both in Daniel and, da and, and, and um, uh, John saw exactly the same thing 2,500 years later. Really, really, really amazing, right? And then Daniel talks about the Antichrist himself, verse seven of Daniel seven. After this, I saw in the visions of the night, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible. He calls this person Antichrist who is the beast out of the sea in Revelation 13, one. He calls him dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong. Had huge iron teeth, was devouring, breaking in pieces, trampling, and just mentioned this, the residue with its feet. It's different from all the beasts that were before it had 10 horns. So again, let's talk about this real quickly, the leopard. Guess what the, the, the leopard, the, the animal, the leopard, which nation, that's a symbol of today. It's the nation, it's the nation of Turkey. Turkey comes from the former Grecian Empire and is typified by the um, symbol of the leopard. That means the Antichrist will move swiftly. A web leopard's fast. Then there's a bear mentioned here. The bear is the symbol of the Persian Empire, modern day Iran. Everybody listening? And it represents power. They're thirsty for power. Then the lion is a, is a symbol of of uh, Babylon in history, which today is Iraq, Saudi Arabia area right there in landmass, and it represents authority. So it's, it's really unusual that you see what's going on in the Middle East. If you do reading, I read a lot of different things, and I don't have the time to go very far into this, but Iran, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, 
you need to keep your eye on this landmass right there and what these uh, and what these nations are doing together. The Antichrist is going to use these nations to do what he does in the Middle East and to wreak havoc on God's people. So it'll be in the news. You'll see it. You saw it right here, first of all, in Scripture. Revelation 13, 3, I saw. I don't know why my notes just disappeared. Why did this happen? Oh, here we are. Revelation 13, 3, I saw one of his heads, talking about the beast, the Antichrist, as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed, all the world marveled and followed the beast. Now, a lot of commentators say, well, the Antichrist is going to be killed and be resurrected from the dead. In fact, there's a lot of them that say that. But I, um, there, there's something a little different going on here. And I need to take a little bit of time to explain this again. I saw one of his heads, that is, one of the empires. The heads stand for the empires that have dominated Israel through the, through the uh, years of its history saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed. So, so here's, here's one of the heads of one of the empires that ditched, is dead, and then it comes back to life. Now, now just follow me for a minute here. The heads again represent kingdoms that once ruled over Israel and the Middle East. And uh, at the time of the Antichrist, one of these kingdoms that was mortally wounded, that it's in history, is no more, it comes back alive. Now that's a little strange. I'm gonna fast forward to Revelation 17. Everybody with me? Now listen to this and let me explain it. It's really crazy. Watch this. And you'll see history in the Bible. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit, go to, to perdition, Speaking of the Antichrist, those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Those are unbelievers, obviously. When they see the beast that was and is not and yet is, and here is the mind that has, uh, which has wisdom. Watch this. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. So the seven heads talk about empires that have dominated Israel through all of its history, through all the millennia of time that has existed as a nation. Watch it again. Seven heads are seven mountains. There are also seven kings, and he just calls it kings this time. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. So during the time of the Bible, which kingdoms have already been? Well, Egypt had been overseeing Israel for a period of time in its history. Assyria was one of the kingdoms, the empires, the mountains that oversaw Israel for a period of time, as was Babylon. There's three, the Medo-Persian Empire, number four, the Grecian Empire, uh, number five. And then it says, uh, what does it say? Five have fallen, one is, one is, so five have fallen, the five I just mentioned, one is. Now, now, now which empire was overseeing Israel during Bible times? Rome, Rome was, was, was active, Rome was there. It says it is, and then it says um, five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. So it's talking about an empire past Rome that will come into history, future, speaking from Bible context, and it'll come and dominate the Middle East. And then look what it says. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. And then it says, the beast that was and is not 
is himself, it's really strange language, is also himself the eighth. So there's seven kingdoms I've mentioned. It says there's going to be an eighth when he says the eighth is of the seven and is going to perdition. So here's, listen to history. And this will give you some insight, maybe where the Antichrist is coming from. So you got five kingdoms that had already overseen Israel up until, up until Bible times and they'd already fallen aside. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. And then Rome was in existence during Bible times. It's going to ditch. There'll be another one that hasn't come yet in Bible times. Now listen to this. The Roman Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire fell uh, somewhere around 476 A.D. And, and then, but that, that wasn't the end of the Roman Empire. Roman Empire lasted a long, long time in history. It was one of the, lo- the longest lasting empires in the history of the world, strong empire. And then it lasted another th- almost thousand years. Not the Eastern Roman Empire, but the Byzantine Roman Empire that was based in Constantinople. You go read this up in history. It was based in Constantinople. That was a city named after Constantine, who was the Roman Empire, who made uh, Christianity the state religion and amalgamated a lot of the false religions into Christianity and really watered it down during that time. And uh, so anyway, the city Constantinople was named after Constantine, that Roman Empire. So again, for a thousand years, everybody with me? For a thousand years, the Western Roman Empire existed as the Byzantine Roman Empire, and it still oversaw and ruled over the Middle East and Israel, and it was conquered in 1453. You've heard me say this many times, by an Ottoman conqueror, an Islamic conqueror, uh, Mehmet II, in 1453. He got, well, here's what he did. He got Chinese gunpowder. Nobody could breach the walls of Constantinople. They were huge. It was a strong, fortified city. They got got Chinese gunpowder that had been created a couple of centuries before and they started bombing the uh, walls around Constantinople finally breached the walls entered the city of Constantinople and uh, the Ottoman Empire conquered the the Roman Empire and it bit the dust 1453 AD and then and then the uh, Islamic Empire from there began to conquer all over the Middle East took over Israel and for almost uh, not quite 500 years, the Islamic Empire ruled the Middle East and ruled over Israel until after World War I. After World War I, you know, uh, um, uh, Britain kind of redid the land masses and, 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 and redid all of the territories and such and renamed some of the nations and all that. And, uh, and the Islamic Empire bit the dust. That Ottoman Empire was no more. So the Ottoman Empire, I want to submit, was the seventh empire in history that oversaw Israel. But these verses here say, what, since I've said that, five have fallen, verse 10. One is, that's the Roman Empire. The other hasn't yet come. And when he comes, uh, he must continue a short time. Yeah, well, that's the Ottoman Empire, Islamic Empire, and then, it, and then it stops, and that's after World War I. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth. So the, what's he saying? The beast, the Antichrist empire. He comes from that seventh empire. What is the seventh empire? I submit Islam. You getting it? So could it be that the Antichrist is an Islamic ruler? 
Now, this is really, really interesting. I'm going to put myself out on a limb just a little bit here. There is a ruler in the Middle East right now, if you listen to him, and I've, I've, I've uh, looked at some of the transcriptions of Arabic where he speaks. He says different things to the Arabic people in Arabic than he does in English when he's speaking to Western audiences. But there is a ruler in the Middle East. He's the, he's the well, prime minister of a nation, president of a nation. He's really a dictator now. He's been there for a dozen years or so now. And, and he's, the, he's the president of Turkey, Recep Erdogan. The president, just listen, the president of Turkey, let me tell you what's happened with this guy. Just listen for a little bit. Turkey's been an ally of, um, of the United States for, or the West for, uh, since the 1920s, 1930s and, and the end of the 1990s. He created, a, he created a, um, a political party for the joining together again of the nation of Islam and its laws and the government of Turkey. And boy, nobody liked him. In fact, he got put in prison because of it uh, for like two and a half, almost two and a half years. He got out of prison in Turkey, I think the very end of 2002. And, and he started his little party back up and just pushed it for years and years and years. And he be- eventually became prime minister of Turkey. And now he's basically uh, wields great influence and power and is basically... Really, um, for all intents and purposes, he's a, he's a dictator. And listen to what this man has said. And in his, in his speeches in Arabic, he talks about the, uh, the new, it's called the Neo-Ottoman Empire. He said the Neo, the new Ottoman Empire is rising up. And we have a goal for the Ottoman Empire to rule the Middle East just the way it did for centuries uh, before World War One. Now he's been talking that, and uh, you know Turkey has got quite an army. They have they're part of NATO right now. They have one of the largest armies. He's got a four million man army. I mean, y'all, that's not anything to sneeze at. You hear me? It's really strong. He wields a lot of influence. There are two sects of people in Islam: the Shiites and Sunnis, and he's one of the one. Only leaders in the Middle East is able to bridge the gap between the two and get along with both sects of Islam and the leaders of the various nations. And, you know, some of the nations of uh, Islamic nations don't like each other. So, they're, you know, they're, they're really ripe for somebody like him can we come along and, and get them to see eye to eye. He also has his eyes on Israel, particularly Jerusalem. There's a lot of verbiage going on the last couple of months and I've been reading the little articles in the last few months about this. Boy, he's got his eyes set on Jerusalem. So I'm just saying, I, I can't say for sure he's the guy, but he sure acts like him. And he, he acts like the guy in scripture. So time will tell. Maybe he'll re- be replaced by somebody else. Maybe somebody from Syria, the Antichrist, going to come from that Turkey, Syria area of the world, ancient Anatolia. If you look at history, look at historical maps, it's coming from that area. We just don't, will he continue to be the power play there? We'll find out and we'll all see it at the same time. Nonetheless, keep your eyes open. I'm just saying all this because what the Bible says is going to happen is unfolding before our eyes. And whether it's the exact person that I just mentioned, I can't say that for sure, but it is really, really interesting 
and eye-opening. So let's go and let's hurry up to a close here. Revelation 13, 4 through 7. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast who's able to make war with him? But beast again, the Antichrist. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months, three and a half years. So again, this harsh reign of the Antichrist will continue the last three and a half years of Daniel's 70th, uh, 70th week. There's seven years. And, and he's just going to be really, really tough. The thing you need to know is God is allowing this because of the rebellion of the people on earth and those who choose not to obey God and bow their knee to the lordship of Jesus. God is allowing this kind of judgment through this man, Antichrist. It says, verse six, then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. As I read, one thing I've not been sure about, is the reign of the Antichrist just in the Middle East? Yeah, I'm not completely sure, but when, because sometimes, you know what, hyperbole, hyperbole is an intended exaggeration to make a really strong point. So we all use hyperbole sometimes. The Bible is full of hyperbole. The first century, they spoke hyperbolically, you know, to make, to make a point. And so when you, sometimes when you hear the phrase, the whole world, it's really talking about the Middle East the whole Bible world, not necessarily the whole landmass of the seven continents. But here it says very clearly, authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Could that include the entire world? Well, the answer is it could. Do we know that for sure? Not completely for sure because of the Bible's frequent use of hyperbole in the first century. So again, and if Christ were rule for three and a half years, He'll seriously persecute Christians and Jews. We mentioned it last chapter, Revelation 12, 17. The dragon was enraged with a woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. The woman is Israel. The dragon is the Antichrist. He fights Israel. He can't stand Israel. And he went to make war with the rest of her, Israel's offspring, who was at the church. We came out of the bowels, the loins of, 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 of Israel and uh, Israel and the Ten Commandments gave birth to Jesus, our Messiah. And here we are in the church. So he persecutes the church really, really seriously. And um, where am I? Yeah, and uh, who keep the commands of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So again, uh, when the Antichrist terrorizes the world, he's gonna have an ideology of one world government, one world economy, and one world religion, there's some really unusual things happening. That's why this election that's coming up right now, there are ideologies in place and there are people in our nation in places of power that would easily allow the, the United States to acquiesce to a one world body, governing body, and we would adopt their laws, their constitutions, and our constitution would be subservient to that. Now, if you think what I'm saying is a joke, you just need to open your ears and eyes. This is everywhere if you know how to read. Now, let me say the news media will black all this out, make everything look just nice and peachy creamy. My friends, we are in the most pivotal time the United States has ever seen. And we're either, we'll remain the nation we are or we'll be absorbed 
by this one world ideology and it's according to who gets in power this next election. Now, you know, I was hoping I'd hear some crickets. I want you to think. Because my friends, this is, this is where we are. A one world government and we are right on the verge of digital currency and, and because of COVID-19, everybody's saying, okay, no more, no more, no more, uh, no more hard, hard currencies. Digital only. To start with, that seems wise, seems commonsensical, seems like it could work. And, you know, the U.S. dollar will still be the U.S. dollar. You just won't trade dollar bills. It'll all be digital. Most of, your, most of you pay your bills online anyway. You got online bill and you get paid, you know, your, your paychecks deposited right into your checking account. You don't even see the money. It's all just digits you see on a, on a, on a, on a, in a place right there in your bank account, right? So it's already happening. So that's how it's going to happen all over the world. And they eventually, eventually they're going to say, okay, we want every nation to drop its fiat. The dollar is a fiat. A fiat is a, is a system of, of ascribed currency a currency that has an ascribed value. The dollar is a fiat, used to be based on gold in Fort Knox. Now it's not based on anything. The Federal Reserve decides its, its power. And all this stuff's changing right before our eyes. I'm just trying to say again, the Antichrist will be a person, one world government, one world economy, and then one world religion. The next time we come back, I'm gonna talk about uh, the Antichrist and... He's got a, a guy that works with him and he's called the false prophet. And, uh, and he's gonna amalgamate all of the religions of the world. Listen, it's really uncanny right now. They've been ecumenical, um, uh, ecumenical meetings with the Vatican and with the major world religions recently. Uh, the head of Judaism, the head of Islam, uh, the Pope is the head of Christianity and other world religions. And you know what the Pope has said? We believe that all religions serve exactly the same God. Friends, that is opposite of what the Bible teaches. So, you know, could our current Pope be, be, this, uh, be this false prophet? Come next time, let's talk about it, because it's there. So where's the USA gonna be in all this? You're going to determine with your vote whether or not the world very rapidly goes to this one world system with a person that will eventually oversee it, that the Bible terms Antichrist, or where we've got a period of time, a delay. This next election will determine that. Revelation 13, eight, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life, him being the Antichrist of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear to hear, he who... Uh, he leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. There you go. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. So let me just make a few comments as we quickly close here. I got one passage of scripture will be done. The, the church will be here for, for the first part of the Antichrist reign, all that first three and a half years. And then when he really, really turns up the heat on Israel and turncoats, uh, right after that, probably a year, maybe a year and a half. And then the rapture will occur. Again, the great tribulation, there's really that, the severest part of those seven years. Jesus said, for the sake of the elect, that time will be shortened. The rapture will occur, will get take, be taken out of here. And then the day of the Lord, which is terrible, a couple of years 
The day of the Lord will, 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 be, will, will happen. And so we're going to be, what I'm trying to get across is we're going to be here during part of that time that the Antichrist rules and reigns. And there's going to be a greater anguish, Jesus said, uh, during that time that at any time since the world began, Matthew 24, 21, and it will never be so great again, verse 22, Matthew 24. In fact, unless the time of calamity shorten not a single person, will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. So again, my encouragement, now's the time to prepare for this. A lot of believers aren't ready. And I I can promise you, the American church by and large is asleep. And my friends, it is past time to wake up because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed, the apostle Paul says. So, um, so, so are you ready? Here's some questions I've got in the notes here. Will you acquiesce to the demands of the Antichrist to save your own skin? Huh? Will, will you bow down? And we're gonna talk about a mark that he enacts for economic, um, for e- economic things, just to be able to buy and sell. Are you gonna take the mark? And we'll talk about what that may or may not be. It's really interesting. Do you love Jesus enough to stand your ground for the coming persecution? When somebody says, I'm gonna kill your children unless you say you, you, you no longer will have anything to do with Jesus Christ. What would you do if somebody got one of your kids, got him by the throat, said, I'll kill your kid right now. Or put a gun to his head, said, I'll kill your child right now. You say you'll never have anything to do with Jesus and you throw your Bible away. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna teach your children to do? You need to be talking to your children now about persecution that may come. These are hard things to talk about, aren't they? Nobody's talking about them in America because we don't think we're gonna be here for any of this. Second Thessalonians 2, I end with this. Uh, first 12 verses. Now, brethren, Paul says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, the rapture, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either, either by spirit or word or letter, as from us as though the day of Christ had come, a letter was circulating. Jesus has already come. All this has already happened. Everything's just fine. He says, not true. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. The rapture is not going to occur until number one, there's a falling away. Now, the Bible's clear. This falling away is the Greek word for apostasy. These are people that once knew the Lord that recant their faith and say, I choose to have nothing else to do with Jesus because I need to buy food for my family. I need to pay my, I need to pay my mortgage. I need to do commerce and, uh, and I don't want my children to die and they're gonna fall away from the faith. And I question me, am I gonna be one of those ones or am I gonna stand my ground if somebody tries to harm me or my family uh, in, in the name of, of just being, you know, just being fair and being like everybody else. And, you know, let no one deceive you by any means. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And this is the Antichrist who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called of God or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And that's when he desecrates the rebuilt Jewish temple and, and makes the Jews really upset. We'll see that. Do you remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what's restraining. There's a restrainer holding all this back that he may be revealed in his own time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so 
until he's taken out of the way. Some people think that's the Holy Spirit. I don't think so. Holy Spirit will never leave. Some people think it's the church. I don't think so. I've got something else in mind, but I won't tell you tonight. You'll have to come and ask me personally. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perished because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What a day that even some of the elect will be deceived and some people who now walk with Jesus will, will acquiesce to the demands of the one world government and the one world religion just to save their own hide. Wow. My question is, what am I going to do during that day? What are you going to do during that day? My encouragement is, let's all get ready and you can come up. And let's all get ready because uh, in a time we don't expect, Jesus said, the son of man will come. Stand up on your feet. Did y'all get something out of this? Good news in all this. How many are glad you're going to heaven? The challenging part, and it is a challenge. And see, I feel it when I say it. We need to get ready. And for the majority of Christians, particularly in America, I could say the Western world and include Europe and points beyond, but particularly in America, we are really soft. We want what we want, and we don't think we deserve anything that's halfway challenging. And my friends... There are people all over the world who love Jesus just like us, who are living day by day, not knowing if they're going to be alive tomorrow because of the persecutions that have already ensued. I mean, on continents like Africa, continents like India, in the former Soviet, well, not necessarily the former Soviet Union as much, although it's coming there, but China and Asia. I mean, there's some serious, serious persecution. But here, we're innocuous in America. We don't think any of this stuff could happen. You know, we've been basically protected by God because of our forefathers, because of their faith, because of their prayers. But my friends, we're now at a point that we've got decisions to make. My encouragement for all of us, this makes me want to go pray and seek God and make sure my heart's right. And I really have. I've, I've just played scenarios out in my mind. What if somebody brought my grandchild to me and said, you say no to Jesus, never open your Bible again, I'll kill your grandchild right now. What am I going to do? I'm having conversations with my children. I'll have conversations with my grandchildren. And you need to have conversations with your children. If persecution ever got that serious, you know what you can say? Don't say no to Jesus ever. Even if they kill mom or dad or grandma and granddad, I will see you in heaven. If they kill you, I will see you in heaven. If they kill me, I'll see. See, I've had, I know it's weird, right? It's weird to think that way. But you know, we're living in a day that anything could happen. This has been a year that things that have never happened have happened this year. So could this kind of stuff occur? Yes, it could. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you committed? That's the question. So Lord, I just end the meeting tonight. Now, this is challenging for me, us. Antichrist is coming. We can't spray all this away. It's coming. Prepare us for the days ahead. Prepare us for the coming persecution. Prepare us, dear Father God, to let our light sun shine so brightly that whether it's by life or death and martyrdom, that, Lord, we, we love you, we honor you, and we serve you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.